Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Thank you so much to Steadily Insurance for sponsoring this week's episode. There are a lot of things that keep us up at night as hosts. Those late night questions from your guests, scrolling Zillow for the next perfect investment, scouring Pinterest for design inspo. What shouldn't keep you up at night is worrying about what would happen to your hosting business if a fire, flood, or storm damaged your property, damages or theft occurred, or if a guest got injured and filed a lawsuit against you. That's where Steadily Insurance comes in. Steadily provides comprehensive landlord insurance to hosts doing short-term rental, mid-term, or even long-term rentals. So no matter how your business model might change, you are still covered. We all know that the coverage provided by the booking platforms we use isn't always the most reliable. So put your business in the hands of Steadily, who will have your back when you need it most. Click on the link in the show notes to request a free quote or head to hostwithnatalie.steadilypartner.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. For this week's episode, we are doing something a little different. There is a clip that I saw on YouTube a couple weeks ago about Airbnb, and I watched it and immediately had thoughts on it and decided we should react to it today. So let's jump into it, shall we? So what I'm going to play for you, interwoven with my commentary, is a seven-minute long clip from the Dave Ramsey show. I know, I know, a lot of people hate Dave Ramsey. I personally don't have a problem with him. I know personally a lot of, a good handful of people who have gotten out of debt because of him, but I can see how his methods are too extreme for some people. So whatever, however you feel about him, uh, doesn't matter. I'm I'm neutral on the guy, and Really today, I want to go through because the title of this episode, the title of this clip that I'm going to play for you is the three problems with owning an Airbnb that no one talks about. Someone calls in to Dave here to ask him his advice on whether or not he should start an Airbnb. And the three pieces of advice he gives him, I think are very interesting. Some of them, I think he makes really great points, things that need to be talked about that people are not talking about. Some other things, I think he is not accurate in his assumption of what hosting is and what to expect with it, and that's fine. So so let's jump into it, okay? We're going to play this, and I'm going to pause it every minute or so so I can react and give you my commentary. David is with us in Dallas to start off this hour. Hi, David. Welcome to The Ramsey Show. Yes, thank you, sir, for having me. Sure. What's up? Yes, yeah, so just quick context. My wife and I, when we were engaged, did FPU. That was six years ago. We are now $5,000 away from being debt-free, aside from our mortgage. Way to go. Um, just 5, yes, thank you. Just 5000 left of our uh, of my student loans. Um, here's, here's the thing. We're pastors here in Texas. We are moving to Oklahoma to be pastors of a church there. 
And what's awesome as part of the deal is we have a parsonage, so we will not have a mortgage payment there. Um, and so my my ultimate dream is that we are financially independent from the church. I love the church. I would love to one day not even have to take a paycheck from the church. And so what I'm seeing is our expenses are staying the same. Our income is actually going up a little bit uh, with this move. And I would like to turn my house in Texas uh, into an Airbnb property and hopefully even make income to take one step closer to being financially independent from the church. And so my question really is, is that a smart move, or should I just sell my home here in Texas, profit, I don't know, the way the market is right now, I can maybe profit 60, 70K, something along those lines from what I've seen. Um, and so I'm just asking you what maybe the better or best option is. Um, I love your goal, and I don't dislike your plan overall. Uh, I, would, I would sell the house and move the money to Oklahoma pile up some more cash and pay cash for your first rental in your own backyard. Airbnbs uh, have two problems that all the people that talk about how much money they make with them don't bring mm -hmm. up. Uh, they have three problems that people don't bring up. Uh, problem number one is a ton of hassle, a lot of details, a lot of work involved in getting the people in, getting them out, getting them cleaned, all that kind of stuff like uh, probably 25x a normal, a normal rental because you'll have multiple renters in a single month, right? And so you've got, you've got maid service, you've got a higher level of maintenance, you've got a lot of work involved in managing and messing with them. Okay. Okay, let's pause right there. I am really, really happy that Dave is bringing this up. Yes, short-term rentals are not a passive income. If you are listening to this podcast or trying to digest a bunch of information on hosting because you saw some viral TikToks of people making it seem like they make tens of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars a month without lifting a finger, I am sorry, but they sold you a lie. That is not short-term rentals, and I'm very glad that he is talking about this. Yes, if this guy is thinking, this caller, that this is just something easy he can do, Start, start, buy a property really quick in Texas, move to Oklahoma, and then start being a, you know, pastor at this church and spend all this time and all these hours working on a, on the church and think that that's just going to be in the background. That is not accurate. You can get it to that point, but that's not going to be the case with your first one. There's so much involved with setting it up to run smoothly. You can automate a lot. You can make it significantly easier on you to host, but that involves knowing what you're doing so that you can really set that up to work without you. If this is this guy's first time taking a crack at this, that's not going to be his experience. So I'm glad that Dave is bringing this up. Let's continue with the video. So a lot of hassle. Uh, could, I, could I speak? Go, go ahead. So sorry, so sorry to interrupt. Can I just speak to that? I do have family here in Texas that would be managing the property. And so I kind of have a little bit of a built-in system, where which is a bad, I, which is a bad idea. You're going to take, you're taking advantage of your family. Okay, I'm telling you, Airbnb, the hassle factor is very high. There's great money, but the hassle factor is very high. So if you want to do an Airbnb, it needs to be in your backyard. Problem number one with Airbnbs. Problem number two with Airbnbs. Okay, let's pause there before we get to number two. Uh, I, I disagree with him here when he says it's a bad idea to get his family involved. 
you know, if he is expecting something from the family that the family doesn't want to partake in, yeah, that's a problem because you're not going to have a reliable staff or boots on the ground. But if we don't know the situation here, what if his mom is retired and wants to make a little bit of extra income from cleaning or something? She doesn't want to go get a full-time job and she would love to work for her son's property and oversee it and maintain it. And that brings her fulfillment and she wants to do it and she wants a little bit of money. You know, I don't know the family dynamic here and what this family's goals are. If that's the situation, I am totally all for this. I think that that's wonderful that this guy wants to get the property and maybe set something up that that gives his family some extra income too. So if it were me, and I know I'm not even knocking Dave Ramsey here because this is a radio show. He's got only a few minutes that he can answer the question. This is something that if this guy called into me and we were doing an hour-long consultation, I would dig into these questions and really try to understand what that looks like. What is the extent to which the family can help? Are they just a reliable phone call if there's a problem with the guest in the middle of the night, or are they wanting to run this thing for you? I would want to dig into that. All right, let's continue. Is uh, You have a lot of extra maintenance. People tear the crap out of your property. Nobody talks about that. That's the dirty little secret of Airbnbs. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. This one I strongly disagree with. In my opinion, okay, in my opinion, short-term rentals are so much safer an investment than long-term rentals when it comes to the damage that the guests or tenants will put on the property. Everyone I know Everyone I know who has done long-term rentals, every person I know who does long-term rentals has told me that they have had at least one tenant move out where they had to drop tens of thousands of dollars to renovate the property post that tenant moving out. Every long-term landlord I know has told me a story of this. I'm sure there's exceptions, but that is a lot more than just anecdotal evidence in my book. Every long-term landlord I know has told me that they have had one tenant that moved out that cost them tens of thousands of dollars in renovations. When you have somebody living there long-term, no cleaning in between, they can do whatever they want to the property, nail holes wherever they want. They could be punching holes in drywall, uh, moving furniture, scratching your floors, not cleaning your appliances, breaking your appliances. There is so much that can go wrong when you do not have eyes on your property for, you know, 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, however many years they signed a lease for. With Airbnb, sure, I've had guests who have left a really big mess or or left trash all over. I've had guests who have damaged things. You are in there every three to four days. Maybe you get a two-week-long booking or something with a short-term rental, but you have constant eyes on the property, and it might seem like it's more maintenance because, you know, if the cleaner's coming in four times in a month, it might be a broken cup here, um, a little stained washcloth here, um, a broken dish here. That is nothing. That is nothing compared to the cost of having to repaint an entire place or, or fumigate it or something because... The long-term tenants were living there for years with uh, pets that had fleas or were smoking in the unit every single day for three years, and there's literal tar and tobacco baked onto the walls. I will pick the short-term rental guest every single time. To me, the dirty little secret is that people are so scared STR guests are going to trash the place. The truth is long-term tenants treat it so much worse. So that is my two cents on there. I think he could not be 
more wrong on this section. Yes, there are guests that will treat it badly, but you're in there three days later. So what's the worst they can do? They can damage things, but you know exactly the guests that did it. You can file that claim. If you have short-term rental insurance and you have good proof, you'll get that money back. If you've had people living there for three to four years or something, and they and they don't have the money to pay $20,000 for repairs, you're not going to get that money back. You're not. That comes out of pocket. And with the margins being what they are for a long-term tenant, for a long-term landlord, you will not make your money back on that. That's a fact. From my experience, this this just simply is not true. He is, he is wrong here. In my experience, long-term tenants do more damage and pay less money Short-term rental tenants, short-term rental guests pay more money and do less damage. You're constantly buying carpet. You're constantly buying paint and drywall repair uh, because they do not take it, it. I don't care how big a deposit you get or how much screening you do. It's not their house. And so you're going to have a high level of repairs and maintenance, which is part of that hassle factor. The third Okay, a little a little bit harping on the same point here, but I, I honestly don't know what he's talking about here. Constantly buying carpet, paint, and drywall were the three examples he used. Drywall? You guys, I have I've hosted over a thousand reservations, probably fifteen hundred at this point. Um I've been hosting for five years across nine different properties. I have had one time ever I had a guest kick a hole in the drywall. It was a small little hole, maybe three by four inches, and it cost us 30 bucks to get a handyman in there to patch over it. That was it. Once in 1,500 reservations. I don't know what he's talking about. That There's constant drywall being replaced. I've never heard of that. Then he says painting the place constantly. Um, I don't know anybody, any host who has to constantly paint their place. I think uh, once a year, not even the entire interior, but going through and touching up any uh, you know, areas in the hallway or in the entryway that could have gotten scuffed up. Touching up baseboards always looks super crisp. Um, ceilings above your showers or above your stove uh, where you either get like mildew on the shower ceilings from the moisture or above your stove where you might have grease and stuff splattering on the walls. Those little areas to touch up, highly, highly would advise. Yes, hosts should do that. But I don't think that this is like constantly painting the place. And the truth is, if you are a landlord of a long-term guest, you will also have to repaint the entire interior when they move out. I, that's that's pretty much a given. So I, I don't know what that is. And then the third point he brings up is carpet. Short-term rental hosts, he says, are always replacing carpet. That one might be true. And this is why I would tell any short-term rental host to not put carpet in their listings. If you bought a property and it already comes with carpet, I don't think that you need to change the carpet to start, but bake it into your costs that you will be changing that at around at around a year or so. Carpet does not do well in a short-term rental. He's correct on that. But when it comes time to replace it, just replace it to a really good quality vinyl or linoleum, uh, something waterproof or water resistant in your in your bathrooms, of course, don't do carpet, put tile there, and you're fine. Put tile in your kitchen, you're fine. So no, there's no such thing as needing to constantly replace carpet in a short-term rental. Don't know what what he's talking about there. But but the greater point does stand, okay? Yes, there is maintenance with towels being stained, bed sheets needing to be replaced. Uh but but again, I I just to me that is not damage like to the property. Those are consumables. Those are supplies. It's always good to keep towels and linens looking fresh. It, you know, I get I get the point he's trying to make. He's talking about actual damages to the property or something. 
I got to be honest, though. I think that if a short-term rental guest damaged your oven or something, I think you'd have a better chance filing a claim and collecting on that than if your long-term tenant damaged your oven. thing that nobody's talking about is several areas uh, are now passing zoning prohibiting it. Right, right. And uh, so if you set your whole model up only on Airbnb, that you could have the rug jerked out from under you. If the only way the deal works is Airbnb, don't do the deal because it might not be available to you. Okay, this is good. This is very good. You guys know how big a fan I am of talking about regulation. We've had John Hildebrand come on the show to talk about it. Um, This is something I talk about on Instagram all the time. My city went through a very intense short-term rental regulation battle, and I was at every single city council meeting, not just attending, but speaking. I changed my voter registration to be able to vote in the municipality where my rentals are. That is how seriously I take regulation. I do not just want to talk about it. I do want to have my voice heard. So yes, big one. I'm really glad he brings that up. Here's what I will say with this though. When he says that you should purchase investment properties where Airbnb is not the only strategy, like in 95% of cases, I would agree with him. I think it's always great if you have the backup option of doing a midterm rental. You guys can go back and listen to the episode we did with Ziana McIntyre on the midterm strategy. Uh, long-term rentals, you could convert it to that. Uh, you could also sell it as a flip if you wanted to or just hold on to it. So I do think it's always good to have some backup strategies. The only difference here is there are some areas of the country where – It just is never going to be a good long-term market. I live in one of those areas. In Big Bear Lake, it is just not worth investing up there to have a long-term tenant. The reason people invest somewhere like Big Bear Lake is because they also want to be able to use the home themselves. You can't do that with a long-term tenant. And the margins are so much cheaper from what you could get for tourists versus long-term tenants. But on the flip side, we are able to price ourselves so much higher during peak weeks and peak months and peak seasons of the year because it's a tourist location that I am making a calculated decision that the profits and cash flow will be so much higher off of short-term rental that I don't really care about not having that backup plan. Is it a risk? Sure. But you know, this is this is just something to think about. I don't think he's wrong for bringing up this point at all, but you have to decide what your goals are. If the city in Texas that this guy is interested in investing in is a very, very seasonal, exclusively tourist destination, I think he is okay with taking the risk that he might not be able to use it as a long-term rental eventually. But if he's in a more suburban market where it could go back and forth, yeah, that'd be a good thing to keep in mind. So if the regulation ever changes, will the numbers still make sense as a long-term rental or mid-term rental? That's totally something to think about right on. If you want to run the hassle for the extra money and run the maintenance for the extra money, you'll make more money, but it's a lot of work. So I would move the money to Oklahoma, whether you're going to do a straight rental or whether you're going to do an Airbnb, because it's in your backyard and you're going to lay your hands on it. And you are a man who controls your destiny. You don't ask your first cousin to do it. (laughs) Yes, sir. Yeah, that's that's what I would do if I were in your shoes. But I like your overall idea. But let's just pay cash for a rental and go that way. Christina? Yeah, I've talked to a lot of Airbnb owners, and it kind of does feel like a part-time job for a lot of them. And, and you having- get six of them, it's a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Okay, I would agree with that. I, when I had five 
I think when I had five rentals going on six is when it became a full-time job for me. So I would agree with that right there. That was pretty much the breaking point where it could not be a side hustle anymore. Uh, here is where, and again, I know Dave Ramsey has only a few minutes to answer this. Like I said, it's it's a quick soundbite for a radio show. But if I were to do a one-on-one consultation with this guy, I would ask him how important it is for him to be involved in the property. I think that Dave does bring up a good point uh, that if if he wants to have his hands on it, he should do the short-term rental in Oklahoma. However, I have no idea the city in Texas that this guy is considering or the city in Oklahoma that it would be. What's the difference in property value here? How much would it cost him to buy a property in either? And what's the potential cash flow? We also don't know, like we said, what involvement his family is willing to give. If he's assuming that involvement for him, that is a big mistake. Dave Ramsey is spot on here. But if his family actually wants to be involved and they may have come up with this idea together and they just don't have the money for the property, this guy does, but his family's going to run it. I love that. So stay in Texas then, because if he doesn't have the time to run it in Oklahoma, he's actually better off having a state over where he does have people who can run it. So I... This is something that I would definitely want to take the time to dig into. We don't know all of these answers. I wish I knew the potential profitability or ROI in the two cities this guy is thinking of and how much it would cost to get into each property. But they're they're correct here that once you're at five or six properties, I think it pretty much has to become a full-time job. But I don't think that's a bad thing. For me, when I started hosting, I loved it so much. I was like, oh my gosh, how do I get five or six of these to make that a full-time job? So we we don't know this guy's goals. So I just think that to assume that it's a bad thing that it becomes a full-time job is that's assuming a lot. And again, again, I'm going to repeat myself. I'm not knocking Dave Ramsey for this. He doesn't have the time to dig into these. But if this guy who called this question and ever wants to book a one-on-one with me, I would love to run through all of this with you and understand if you want that to become a full-time job for you, let's talk about how to make it happen. Yeah, and I agree that having your family do that would kind of be taking advantage of them, especially if you're not paying them, if they don't get a cut of that And profit. if you start paying them, then the need for doing an Airbnb goes away. Yeah, exactly. Okay, wrong. I don't like that. Uh, again, this depends on his goals. Dave Ramsey says if he has to pay the family to help him, then the need for doing the Airbnb goes away. I get the point he's making. Once you start having to pay a management company or in this case, his family, it would cut into his profits so much that it's almost not really worth doing an Airbnb, frankly, okay? At that point, enough of the chunk is being taken away. You could have just had a long-term rental. That's how slim, how much slimmer it makes those margins. However, we do not know, again, what this guy's goals are. If he is thinking that this is the first one and he really wants his family to understand, to learn how to run an Airbnb, make enough cash flow to then where they can start reinvesting in others and he's fine paying a percentage out to them. Maybe his goal is just to be building equity in a property in Texas. Yes, he's moving to Oklahoma, but the guy grew up in Texas. Maybe he doesn't want to give up ownership in Texas. He likes the idea of still owning something there. If that's the case and this gives his family something they can do to run the property, that's wonderful. So again, this is just we don't have enough information to be making these assumptions right here. 
And there's just a lot of, of mental aspects of like, I mean, there's a review system on there. So even with the maintenance, even with keeping your Airbnb up, you want to make sure that it's top notch because you want those five star reviews. If not, you're going to have a tougher time booking people and the list goes on and on. It can definitely be more of a headache. And I think your heart is with the church. You ultimately want to pour your heart into the church. That's why you want financial independence is so that you can love on people better. And if you're stressed out by this basic other part-time job, that's not going to be the best use of your energy. Yeah. Okay. I think she brings up some really great points. And again, this is what I was talking about. I would love if I had a consultation with this guy to understand truly what his goals are. Why he wants to do the Airbnb. Is it just because he heard on TikTok that it was an easy way to passive income? If that's the case, ditch it. I I don't like it. I don't like it for him. It doesn't make sense for where he's at. However, if, you know, she brings up his heart is with the church. He's moving to an entirely different state to be a pastor at a church. Maybe there is something deep down in him that hosting would be extremely fulfilling to do. Providing a vacation rental for people traveling, creating something really, really unique and these amazing experiences. Maybe those the idea of getting five-star reviews excites him and drives him, and it's not something that is daunting and annoying and in the way of making money, but something that he would take pride in. If that's the case, I love it. But maybe this is, again, a, dis- a discussion to have. Does it make more sense in that case to have the short-term rental in Oklahoma where he could maybe rent it out to family members coming to the church and have this be part of the community that he's coming to foster? Maybe this could really become like a part of his lifestyle instead of just the passive income in another state, but he could really take the time to maybe on weeknights when it's slow at the Airbnb, he could host a Bible study once a week or something if he lives close enough to the property, Uh, advertise it in the church bulletin that people could be booking it for when their friends and family come in to visit the church or, or visit each other. I think that that would be awesome, but we don't know the numbers. We don't know the returns here, and I don't feel comfortable advising anything without knowing this guy's goals or the markets he's comparing. I think it's a good move. I love your move to Oklahoma, and you're making more money. Just take your the fact that you don't have a house payment anymore, pile it on top of that 60K, go pay cash for your first house, then pile all that rent up and or Airbnb money up, whatever it is, and go pay cash, go pay cash for the second house. And then go pay cash for the third house, and you end up with five or ten properties. You'll have enough income coming in that you are independent, and then you can decide um, how you're going to serve the church and and what the financial arrangement of that is. That gives you the option uh, of that, and it does put you in a completely different— All right. I don't love the advice there. I am completely okay with people not paying all cash for properties— uh, if the numbers are making sense to you with the rental income, whether that's short-term, mid-term, or long-term, I don't see any reason to pay cash on properties. It's going to take you so much longer to get into your first, second, third, fourth, fifth property, like years between each and every property. There's no reason to do that. Uh, if you just listened to last week's episode with Brenna Carls, we ran through all sorts of options on how to get really good loans at low low down payment rates. And I don't think that there's any reason to have to pay cash. Uh, frankly, even if I could afford to pay to buy a property all outright in cash, I wouldn't. I would rather, let's let's say I had $100,000 total to buy a house. I would rather put five different 20% down payments across five different properties. That's That's me. 
And again, this comes down to knowing what your goals are. I love hosting. I want to host more places. I want to scale that up. Maybe in this guy's case, if carrying a additional mortgage or monthly payment month to month is going to be a huge stressor, then yeah, maybe paying cash makes more sense. But this is something I would really want to dig in with. Uh, I'm totally not in agreement on this one. I have no problem with people getting into debt for a mortgage if, if you've ran the numbers and you know that it'll make sense. Position um, in the church world, for sure. And yeah. I, lo- I love your heart and where you're talking about going with it. Yeah, and, and that's a super exciting move. Congratulations with all of that. A new job, new promotion, and not having to pay rent or a mortgage, that's outstanding. So I think you're going to be able to pile this cash up quick. Yeah, it's going to put you in a really, really good position. So I've got a good friend that uh, is a pastor, and he started at that age buying properties. And he's done exactly what he's talking about doing. He's become, he's become, uh, he's got a lot of real estate, become wealthy. Uh, and he didn't steal the money from the church and he didn't get overpaid by the church. He just managed his money well for decades and has a bunch of paid for real estate now. And he's good at real estate. He's a pastor, but he's good at real estate. I love this point that he's making right here. Even though I know I just said that I'm not a fan of buying the home all outright in cash, I think it is totally fine to take on a debt for a mortgage. It is an appreciating asset. I'm fine with debt for assets. That has I, I think that's great. However, I really, really do have to say I love that Dave Ramsey is bringing up this point about you do not have to scale up to 5, 10 properties per year. I know there are other podcast hosts and and big names in this short-term rental space that have goals of growing by 100 properties every year. You do not need to do that to be successful. I love that he is talking about one property a year. Get one property this year, save up save up money to get one property all out in cash. Again, I disagree with the all cash part, but the point still stands. Save up money to buy your first property. Three to five years later, get another one. Three to five years later, get another one. I think it is totally fine to go slow at this. And by the time you are 65, most of my listeners, I think, are between like 25 and 35. If we start now and buy one, you know, every three to five years, you could have a good chunk of properties, 10 or so, by the time you are in your 60s. And 60 is young these days, you guys. Okay, 60 is so freaking young. So don't even stress. If you're older than 35 and you're older than my average audience, that's fine. It's not too late for you. You're okay. You're okay. So I like that he brings that up. This point still stands, even though I think you can still speed things up a little bit faster by not having to pay all out cash. You can take some loans. I am okay with that. Um, and so, uh, you know, he's managed the properties well, and he's, you know, he's, he, it's like his little side job, so to speak, his hobby. He loves fooling with it, and he loves messing with real estate like I do. And uh, he's just done very, very well. So he's many, many years ahead of you. Uh, David, and um, he's has done what you're, you know, he's put himself in a position that he's independent from the church. And so his publishing deals, all that kind of stuff, he, he just, he doesn't have to uh, be, quote, owned by the local congregation, unquote. And uh, it, it might even change your preaching a little. You never know. Uh, could. Well, some people it would. Okay. 
So that's the end of the video. Again, I don't mean to go too hard on on Dave Ramsey here. I fully understand if people, if I was doing a live radio show and people were calling in and I had to give a quick five to six minute answer, that is probably as in depth as I would also go. So I I think he overall gave pretty good advice considering how limited time he had. This is why I really think it is so important to understand why you are getting into short-term rentals. I would go back to my episode titled, Knowing This One Thing Will Transform Your Hosting Strategy. That is episode number 15, and it is to this day one of my all-time favorite episodes I've ever done. We go through a questionnaire and kind of a personality quiz on how to assess what type of host you are and how knowing your hosting goals can help your strategy through hosting. And I think that this caller would benefit greatly from taking that quiz and you know, ultimately, I do think that there's a few misconceptions here. I think short-term rental guests overwhelmingly are much better than long-term rental guests. And the best part is that if you do get a bad S-tier guest, they are there for like, what, three, four days max, and they're gone. If you get stuck with a bad long-term tenant, have fun. You've got them for 12 months to five years plus. I am very glad, though, to see that He is talking about the fact that Airbnb is not passive income. You can always try to make it as close to that as possible, but even if you hire a management company, it is up to you to watch what that management company is doing. Even if you hire a cleaner, you still have to oversee that cleaner and train them. Even if you end up getting a long-term tenant, at some point they're going to move out and you have to fix up the property before you can rent it again. There is no world in which real estate is completely passive, so I'm glad that he's setting expectations on that. But to me, I I enjoy the work, I love hosting, and I love the money that comes with it, that it's worth it to me. I think he's right in setting expectations that once you're at about five or six properties, it's a full-time job. To me, I love that. I couldn't wait until the point where I could make it a full-time job. And I'm thinking if you're listening to this, You also are looking forward to that point if you're not there already. So all in all, solid advice, although I think he's making a lot of assumptions that I personally would have loved to dig in deeper with this caller. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole? This was a Facebook post I saw. A host wrote this. I think I'm about to get my first bad review. Guests have messages complaining that my house is incorrectly advertised as pet-friendly because their dog, a large greyhound, has escaped my yard and ran down the road. I apologize, suggest they check out and find more suitable accommodation, and I will refund. I'm thinking I need to reword my listing. Pet-friendly but not pet-proof? All dogs are different, I've never had a problem before, and my dogs, two large border collies, have never got out. 42 plus 5 stars. Yeah, this host did nothing wrong. Um, This guest didn't watch their dog, and that is their problem. Pet-friendly means pets are welcome. It does not mean that you should not watch after your pet when you are there. Okay, Disneyland. Disneyland is obviously kid-friendly. Kids are welcome there. Does that mean that a parent can just walk in with their two-year-old and just let them go wild in the park? No, you obviously have to watch your child. Are these people stupid? Yes, the answer is yes, and they are the Airbnb hole. They were being shitty owners. They didn't pay attention to the dog. The dog got out, and now they're going to blame the the owner here. But you know what sucks is that the Airbnb owner said they apologize. It is not the host's fault 
that the owners didn't watch their own dog. How is that the host's fault? Why did they apologize? It's not their fault. All right. And now he's asking if he should refund. Uh, no, he said, I apologize, suggested they check out, find more suitable accommodations, and I will refund. He already offered a refund. Okay. Uh, I mean, this this host doesn't even... It's like, I want I want to have these hosts back, but how can I when they won't even stand up for themselves? I want to defend you. You were in the right. You were in the right, and you blew it. Why are you offering refunds? You didn't do anything wrong. What if you say that your place is suitable for children, and they brought their, their kid... And then their kid was jumping on the bed and fell off and, and hit their head on the wall. Is that your fault that, they're, that they let their kid jump on the bed? No. They let their dog out unsupervised. You did nothing wrong. But clearly this person sounds like somebody who would refund for their kid jumping on the bed. And so I, I can't defend you. If you don't want to be – if you don't want to stand up for yourself, then I'm not going to stand up for you. I'm not falling on the sword for you. So – you know, if there's hosts out here who want me to have their back, you've got it. But you you got to work for it a little bit, too. You have to have your own integrity here, okay? So um, in this case, both both are the Airbnb holes. The, the guest needs to watch their dog, and the owner needs to have a spine. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.